Good morning, Doxa. It's great to see you guys. If you're new or visiting, my name is Rob. I'm not going to do that again. I'm one of the pastors here, but uh, man, exciting times in the life of Doxa. I don't think I realized that until uh, announcements. Guys, we have cake next week. That's amazing. Ronnie's not only the uh, director of Salt Company, but he's on the chair board of the party planning committee. So that's a, that'll be an awesome thing. Also, guys, honestly, this is a really exciting weekend. So we told you, we announced several weeks ago that David and Steffi Livingston with their, their son Silas, their first church planning candidate, were moving here. They actually just moved here, and they are here. So raise your hand, guys, and give it up for them. Welcome them. Guys, we're, we're excited to have you here. It, it's awesome. Guys, watching you walk through the door as part of the Doxa family was just an amazing thing. And even on top of that, we have all these college students. I don't know why you guys are all sitting up here. I know that old people can be scary and smell weird, but they don't bite, okay? So you can disperse. But guys, exciting times, okay? Um, guys, what we're doing is the last several weeks, we're, we're kind of building up to this tail end of this teaching series that we've been going through that we've titled 16 Words. All right, where we're basically looking at our mission statement here at Doxa, these, these 16 words that, that drive all that we do and really drive who we seek to be as a church, that, that we exist, and it's, it's this, it's going to come up here on the screen, we exist to share the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. Those are our 16 words. And as we've been doing for the past several weeks, we're going to continue to break down this statement, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the last five words together today, all right? This idea of the good of Madison, like what does that mean? And what we just heard in, in Jeremiah 29, guys, is it's crucial for us to understand what it would mean for our church to actually be a church that's actually for the good of our city, for the good of Madison, all right? But before we jump into that, I need to set the stage with this, okay? In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, all right, it's going to come up here on the screen. You can write it down and reference it, talk about it, your connection groups. This is kind of like the canvas, if you will, that Jeremiah 29 is being painted on. But here's what we see in Leviticus 19. God says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But hear this, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This, this little verse tucked in here in Gen or Leviticus 19 is just absolutely crucial for us to understand what we're going to look at today in Jeremiah 29. And as we consider being a church that's actually for the good of our city, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This huge statement. All right, the New Testament actually quotes Leviticus 19, 18, nine different times. So it's a, it's a really big deal. And whenever the New Testament does this, as it quotes the Old Testament, it tells us, guys, it's like a highlighter. It says, pay really close attention to this. And so we need to be listening to this, because when you consider this, guys, in the Old Testament, all right, when the Jewish rabbis counted up all the laws of Moses, all the laws of the Old Testament, they came up with right around 613 commands. I mean, this, this overwhelming amount of commands. And so it makes sense when we understand that they had the 613 commands. It makes sense now when, when the teachers of the law, they come to, to Jesus in Mark chapter 12 and they ask him, right? They say, okay, you have, we have all of this. What is the most important commandment? Because they were probably just, I mean, sure, they might have been trying to test him, but they were probably just trying to figure out, okay, there's 613 of these. I'm not that great. Like, just tell me where I need to start. And so they asked Jesus, what does he think? And Jesus tells him, love God. That's it. Number one, love God above anything and everyone else. 
Love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Mark 12, 30. This is what Jesus says. But the interesting thing is that unsolicited after this, all right, the, these people didn't come to Jesus and ask him, hey, what are the top two things? But unsolicited, Jesus, right after he says, love God, he goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself, quoting Leviticus 19, 18. And I want you to know, guys, as we consider this being a church that's for the good of our city, loving our neighbor is the second most important command in the entire Bible. Really big deal. Even more, guys, if, as you consider like the Apostle Paul's writing. In, in, in the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says that the whole law of God is summed up in this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Because the entire Bible is clear that our lives should be, need to be, first and foremost, preoccupied with love. Above anything and everything else, we exist for loving God and loving our neighbor. And you cannot read the Bible without seeing this, guys. It's clear. It repeats itself over and it emphatically teaches that love needs to be the mark. And guys, here is why this is significant. I wonder how seriously we take this in our day-to-day lives. And, and from my experience and my perspective, and guys, I might be wrong on this, but I think we can get so caught up in life and so caught up in work and so po- caught up in like producing things and, and making ourselves a, a name that we can go through, like even Christians, the most Christian among us, we can go through a day, an entire week, a month without really even thinking about loving God and loving our neighbor with the priority and the intensity that Jesus tells us we should. I mean, the two greatest commandments Love God and love your neighbor. And even more, guys, I, I think many times for a lot of us as, as Christians, all right, that we can kind of like pattern our life of, off of this, okay? So I go to church, I, I love God, I work really, really hard, I love my family, I provide for my family, and, and I kind of just like ignore my neighbors, but I'm nice enough to them in the, the chance that I walk out the door and I make that awkward eye contact and I kind of have to wave, right? You know what I'm talking about? You walk out and you're getting your trash and you're like, oh, there's my neighbor, crap. Oh, oh, right? you, you do that? Am I the only one? No, no, you guys all do that, right? And we, and we, we see this, we, we pattern our life out this and many Christians, we, we hold this and it's widely accepted as Christian living that I love God and I'm nice to my neighbor, but think about this, guys. Where is that in the Bible? It's, it's just not there. We don't find it. This is not the Christianity that we see in the Bible. Smiling and waving to strangers, being nice to our neighbors, is not what Leviticus 19 is talking about. It's not what Jesus taught. And it's not what Jesus has for our church. If we want to truly be a church that glorifies God and actually exists for the good of our city. And so here's what we need to do. Because as we consider this, as we look at Leviticus 19, we really just need to stop and stare at this and just ask the question, okay, what should this even look like in my life? I mean, if loving my neighbor is the second greatest commandment in the entire universe, what does this mean for me as I live my day-to-day life here in Madison? And guys, in my time in the Bible and in prayer lately, I've, I've really sensed God saying that we just need to figure this out in order to be the church that he wants us to be. 
we're almost a year in. Guys, and, and we need to, we, we still got like wet cement, right? We can form, the, we, God wants to shape us through his word. He wants to create in us and be the church that he wants us to be. He wants us to be a church that, that truly lets the, the command of loving God and loving our neighbors fall on us in such a way that it shapes everything that we do, how we talk, how we live, how we see our lives. Love your neighbor. Guys, what does this mean? And here's where this lands us, our 16 words, sharing the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. And guys, when we say the good of Madison, we're talking about Leviticus 19 here, loving our neighbors. And this brings us to Jeremiah 29. Now that we understand that, that love is the canvas that Jeremiah 29 is being painted on, here's what God says, verse one, look back. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles. I want you to circle exiles in your Bible. And to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 2. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So guys, here's what's happening in Jeremiah 29. Babylon was just the dominant military power of this time. And Israel rebelled. And so the emperor of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he sent out an army to go and to, to conquer and to capture Israel. And because Israel had resisted Babylonian rule so much, the Babylonians did something different in their conquest here. All right, they didn't just conquer them and, and kill them and slaughter them. Sure, that was, that was definitely part of it. But if you look back, they brought the leaders of Israel to Babylon. All right, look back at verses one and two. They brought the elders and the priests, the prophets, the artisans, the officials, in other words, what they did is they brought all the leaders and all the people of power from Israel and they brought them to Babylon. Why? It's because they were trying to do cultural assimilation. All right, that the Babylonians thought that if they could just bring all the leaders of Israel and make them live in Babylon, that after a few generations, they would lose their cultural identity. They would lose their beliefs. They would kind of lose their, their distinctives and they would stop resisting Babylonian rule because they would eventually become more and more like the Babylonians. This is what they were doing. And the Jews, they knew this. And as they were trying to do this, when the Jews first got to Babylon, they didn't move into the city. They kind of lived on the outskirts of the city and they settled outside of Babylon on the Kabar Canal. And this is what happened, guys. They're, they're prophets. The Jewish prophets kind of emerged. And you can see this if you look at verses 8 and 9. And these prophets kind of come up and they say, hey, God does not want us to be in Babylon. All right, he doesn't want us to be here. In fact, he's going to come in just a, a few short years. He's going to deliver us from Babylon. They're saying, hey, just, we're going to do our own thing over here. The city's kind of over there. We're going to live over here kind of on the fringes, create our own like little subculture, and we'll exist here. We'll let them exist there, and God's going to rescue us, and this is not what God has for us. There is no way he wants us to actually live in this city. We are our own group, and in the midst of this, God sends a letter from the prophet Jeremiah and he basically says, hey, don't listen to anything they say. They're lying to you, and that's not how I want you to live. And God tells them two things that would have just completely rocked their world. And the two things that God tells them is this. He says, number one, you're to make this city your home. And number two, you're to sacrificially love the city that is your new home. And guys, if you put those two things together, you really get a picture of how God wants all of his people to live in any city of the world. 
And specifically, he's going to show us today what he desires for us as the Doxa family, how we should live in the city of Madison. So let's look at these two things. First, God says, make the city your home. Look at verses five and six. Here's what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Because here's what God is saying. He's saying, make this city your home. He says, look, you you used to live in a place where everybody around you, they looked like you, they talked like you, they believed the same things that you believe, but now you're in another place. You're in a place that you're surrounded by people and you're surrounded by a culture that are very different from you. They don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't believe the same things that you believe, but I want you to make this place your home. He says, I don't want you to view this place as like a tourist destination where you're just there for a minute and then you kind of bow out, but he's saying, make it your home. He's saying, build houses, start families, sink roots in, get involved in the city, make it your home. And because if, if you study this passage, there's going to be some people that you'll see, they'll say that God is talking specifically to the Jewish people here, and it doesn't have any relevance for us today as Christians. But that's just wrong. It, like, it most definitely does, all right, because this entire passage is showing how God wants the Jews who were exiles in Babylon to live in their city as exiles. And so that word that I had you circle, exile, being in exile means that that God's people live somewhere other than their true home. For example, God's people were in exile when they were banished from the Garden of Eden after we sinned in Genesis chapter 3. God's people were in exile in the book of Exodus when when they were held as slaves in Egypt. And then when they were carted off to Babylon, they were exiles living in a place that wasn't their true home. Now, here is how this relates to us, guys. In the New Testament, all Christians are considered exiles. If we look at James chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Christians are referred to as exiles. And what that means is this, is that the word Peter uses and James references, guys, as they talk about Christians being exiles, it's a word that literally means, I want you to write this down, resident aliens. All right, that's what Christians are, resident aliens. For those of you who aren't Christians and you're like, I knew that they were weird, that makes sense, right? You you get this, resident aliens. But here's what this means, okay? To be in exile means that you're a resident alien. And in saying resident, guys, God is saying, I want you to live there. I want you to make it your home, even though this is not your permanent home. God is saying, I don't want you just to consume from your city, but to invest in it. That this is your home, and you should care for that place. You should love the people of that place. You should live with the people of the place. And even if it doesn't feel like you fit in, even if the people there hate you because of what you believe, make it your home. He's saying, become part of the city. Love the place, love the people. Be a good neighbor, because this is echoes of Leviticus 19.18. And so as exiles, we're, we're, we're residents, but we're also aliens. And what that means is that you're not the same as everyone around you. That if you are a Christian and you blend into culture, there's, there's something wrong with your Christianity. And so you're, you're an alien, like you're, you're somewhat different, that you're different from the city, you're different from the culture of the city that, that you're surrounded by. So to be in exile, God, guys, a, a Christian is very much about living in this, this tension, 
So God says, make this city your home. Really engage in it. Make yourself part of like the social fabric and love it so well. But don't forget, this is not your ultimate home. And don't become like that place. So live there, love there, but don't become like it. Don't assimilate into that place. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.20. He says that we're supposed to live in our earthly cities, but know that our citizenship is in heaven, the city of God. And Jesus even speaks to this tension, right, as he refers to Christians as, as being a city on a hill, right, that he's saying you're, like, you're kind of like this, this little mini city inside the bigger city, that you live by like a different set of values, a different set of standards, that you walk with God, you seek to honor God and glorify God in a place that doesn't know God, love God, or follow God. You're, you're an alien, this, this tension that we see. Now, guys, I want you to look at this. One of the most intriguing things about this passage is this. Look at verse one. It says that Nebuchadnezzar carried them into exile. Now, scan down to verse four and verse seven. God says, I carried you into exile. So, so which is it? I mean, we got this contradiction, like which, which, what's going on? Did Nebuchadnezzar do it? Did God do it? Who brought these people into exile? And here's how we're to understand this, guys. God is saying that human and social forces brought you into Babylon, but I am using these things. I'm using these forces for two great purposes. Number one, I'm gonna use it to refine you. We see this in verses 10 and 11 in passing. And then secondarily, he says, I'm going to change the city that you're in for the better using you. And we see this in verse 7, which we'll get into this. But the point for us is this. Guys, you need to know that God has sovereignly placed us all in Madison to be a good neighbor. He's put you in your neighborhood. He's put you in your apartment complex. He's put you on your dorm floor. And he's put you in the place that you're in for you to make it your home and love it as your home because there are neighbors there. There are people there that God cares about, that God sees, and that God loves, and he wants you to love them, to be a neighbor. G.K. Chesterton once said, you can choose your friends, you can make your enemies, but God chooses your neighbors. Meaning that our neighbors, guys, are all the people around us that God has sovereignly placed there for us to love. Again, goes back to Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I'll ask you this, guys. Is this the way you view your existence in Madison? I mean, is this the, if you're a Christian, like, is this the way that you view your existence? Or are you in Madison to kind of just like consume like a Paris, like you're here and you're living here and you're really just here to make money and get a nice house and you're, you want to climb up the corporate ladder and you, you're kind of just like using the city just to kind of create this little bunker of joy in your life. Or do you have this posture of like, man, I'm, I'm here to be a neighbor. I'm here to love God and love the people around. Like this is what, like how do you view your existence? And guys, this is huge because I really believe that God is calling us to open up our eyes to the people around us in our city and open up our hearts to love those people. And the fact that God is calling us to make this place our home, it shows us the loving posture that we should have towards the people of our city. Because that we care for the people in our homes, right? We provide for them. We meet their needs. We help them. 
you know, I, I got kids. I don't, like, wake up in the morning and they're hanging out in my home and I don't just, like, kind of creep down the stairs hoping I don't make eye contact with Titus and then I see him, I'm like, oi, and I run out the door, right? No. Right? You'd be like, that'd be a terrible dad. That'd be a terrible neighbor. I, I see them. I give to them. I help them. I provide for them. I love them. Guys, this is what God is saying needs to be true of our lives as we seek to be neighbors in our city, as we make it our home. God's calling us not to just live in Madison, but to love Madison as our home. And guys, when we begin to see our city as not just a place that we live in to consume from and to use to make for ourselves a good life, but we start to view it as our home, we start to see our existence in it completely different. And we start to see the people in it completely different. And here's how. Number two, the second thing that God tells the Jews and he's telling us today is that we're to sacrificially love our home. God says, make this city your home and as you do this, here's what you do. Love it. Again, echoes of Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor. Look at verse seven. This is kind of the epicenter and like the apex of this entire passage. But seek the welfare of the city. Circle welfare. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray. Circle pray. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And guys, the word translated there as welfare is the word shalom. All right, and this is a big word in the Bible. There's actually no single English word that can fully convey the, the lexical range of this word shalom, but shalom really just means like full thriving and full flourishing. And so to seek the shalom of a city means that you want it to thrive and to flourish in every way, in social ways, re relational ways, economically. You want just thriving and flourishing in everybody's life, in every aspect of the city, for every single person that lives there. And God tells his people to seek this. Seek this for the city. I've put you there for this. Like, work hard, but don't just seek it. Don't just work for this. But look, he says, pray for it. Pray for your city. And guys, this is what he's telling our church about our city. Now, understand this, guys. As the Jews heard this, I mean, this sounded just completely crazy. I mean, Babylon was their enemy. Babylon had killed many of the Jews. They had killed these, their friends, their, their family members. And so seek the welfare of Babylon. Pray for them. Like seek the shalom of these people that are our enemies. Because this would have been an unbelievable thing that they were hearing. And because they knew as they, as they were hearing God say this, like seek the welfare, pray for their, their shalom. They knew that God was telling them to love the city of Babylon. Because I want you to consider this, okay? The Jews knew that they were supposed to pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. If you read Psalm 122, write that down and read it at Connection Group this week. Psalm 122 is a prayer for the shalom and the peace of Jerusalem. And in verse 6, it's going to pop up here. Verse 6, it says this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And so as God is telling them to pray for the shalom of Babylon, he was saying to love them. Because guys, you need to hear this. You can't pray for someone's shalom without loving them. This is the closest thing in the Old Testament to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Guys, there's nothing more that will move your heart towards loving people than to the pray for the people that you don't love. I'll even back out of this and say this, guys. If there's like relational stuff going on within you and this church, like the answer is not to just remove yourself. The answer is to pray for that person. As you pray for that person, your heart will be stirred and move towards them. God's love will, will be real in your life and move you towards loving those people. This is what he is saying. He's saying, pray for this city. Love your city. Love your neighbors as yourself. He's saying, this is what it means to be the family of God. I've sent you to this city to love them and to help it flourish. And guys, you need to know this about our church. Like, we're not here in Madison to show this city how wrong they are. We're not here to kind of somehow like defeat the city and throw rocks at it because their policies seem crazy and we're just like, well, we can't stand for, like we're not here to be angry like that. We're here to love the city and bless the city and serve the city and pray for the city. And God put us here for those reasons. And as I look at the Bible, guys, I don't think that this is an optional thing. Like this isn't one of those things that if you're a Christian, you're kind of sitting there being like, that seems good for you. Like I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna kind of stay out here and no, This is the second highest command in the entire Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I'll ask you this again about your neighbor. Because is is your neighborhood a better place because you're there? Like, is your apartment complex? Is your your dorm room? Is it a better place because you're in it? And don't hear me say, guys, this is like an easy thing to do. All right? This is not an easy thing. And I'm not even saying like I'm great at it. I'm just saying, like, as I read the Bible and as I pray, like, I can't get around this, but this is, like, commanded. Like, this needs to be true of us, that he's placed us, God has placed us in this city, not to create a a weird little Christian subculture that exists in Madison for our own good, but he's placed us here in this city for the good of Madison, for itself, And he wants us to open up our hearts and open up our homes and open up our wallets and get involved with our neighbors in this city. And I'm I'm convinced, guys, as we talk about bringing good to Madison, because the only way this is going to happen, it's not because we're a bunch of people. We don't sing songs like we are good, right? Because we're not. We're wicked and sinful and broken people. But we say God is good. The only way that this city will change. The only way that this city will become the city that God wants it to be is by a radical, unusual love that is embodied in God's people living in the everyday stuff of life around their neighbors. It's the love of God. It always comes back to Jesus. Now, I need to explain to you guys what this means to love Madison, okay? When I say love Madison, that doesn't mean like, some of you are thinking like, okay, I get it. I'm like a gopher fan, but I'll go buy a Badger gear. Like, first off, why would you be a gopher fan? Like, come on. <laughs> Second off, that's not what he's saying. All right, it's not like I gotta be, I gotta be all about UW athletics, okay? I gotta become a foodie and I'll go hang out on state streets. I got it, I'll wear tight jeans and a little hat. Like, I'll fit in, right? I'm gonna, like, no. Because this is what it means to love Madison. Write this down. Is that we know We love and we serve all people of Madison, even the forgotten and the vulnerable. This is what it means to love our city and make it our home. 
And throughout the Bible, guys, this, there's this theme of what Timothy Keller calls the quartet of the vulnerable. That when you read the Bible, God frequently references four distinct vulnerable people groups in cities. And then he commands his people to love them along with all the rest. He says, love the, the orphans and the widows and the immigrants and the poor. This quartet of the vulnerable. And today we can add to this, this list of vulnerable. Children in broken homes, unborn children, single parents, specifically mothers, racial minorities, the homeless. The vulnerable are the people that this world and its culture pass over. But God's people, as they make the city their home, they don't pass over anyone, but they love everyone because this is our home. And we love our neighbors. We love the people in our home, just like Jesus. Because this is loving our city. God says, make the city your home and love it well. So here's what he's saying. Jeremiah 29 is saying this, guys. We need to make Madison our home. And we need to love Madison. And we need to tell Madison about our Savior. And as we love Madison, we need to, we need to pray for them. We need to work hard in Madison. We need to work and care for the people of this city so that Madison is a great place to live. Not for our good, but for the good of everybody in it as neighbors. Even those who hate us because of what we believe, like those are the people, because this is the call. And I'll point out to you this, guys, that I love this. God tells us to do this, right? Second greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, God practices what he preaches. God is a, is a good neighbor. He's always close. He's always there. And he proved his love as he entered into human history and dwelt among us. And he served us. He moved towards us. He healed us. And even when we turned against him and we sinned and we rebelled against him, he took that upon himself and through faith, he forgives us. And today, even when we sin as Christians, he continues to draw close to us. Even when we're weak and we don't love God, he's there loving us and pursuing us and keeping us, that God loves his neighbors. And it's when we understand this, guys, when we really understand this, that this makes sense that the greatest neighbor says to us, go and love your neighbor. And we hear this and say, okay, because of this radical love that God has for me as, as his neighbor, I say, okay, I'll do it. I'm not great at it. I don't know what it's going to look like. Like, you're going to have to do a work in my heart because my, my propensity is like, I'm not going to move towards people like that. But change me. And I'm in. That's what we say. And the only reason we do this is due to the fact that what Jesus has done for us, guys, that Jesus lived in heaven and he moved into our neighborhood. He incarnated and he moved towards us. He was persecuted, he was killed for us so that we could live. And the only way that we could prosper is that he had to die. It's almost like the father talked to the son and said, hey, if you live, they will die. But if you die, they will prosper and they will live. And so what does Jesus say? He says, I'm all in, I'll do it. And we just do likewise out of the overflow of the love of God in our lives. Because this is why we always say it always is about Jesus. 
Because if you see Jesus just dying for people in the world, like that makes him like an awesome example, but if you see Jesus dying for you, Romans 5.8, while you were still sinner, Jesus died for you. When you see Jesus dying for you like that, that will sear a cross into your heart and will change you to the type of person that could live the way that God is telling the children of Israel to live in Babylon. This will allow you to live and be a good neighbor here in Madison. This will allow us to live in such a way with such radical love that the people around us in this city will be like, what is this? Why are you like that? And all we will do is say, it's not me. I'm a signpost and we just point to Jesus and we share the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of this city as this is what it's about, being a neighbor. So here's what I'm gonna do, guys. I'm gonna have Sam Roberts come up here. At Sam. Sam Roberts is a, a resident with, with DOXA, and uh, he's got a couple different roles in, in the life of our church, but uh, a tremendous man of God. He does all of our visual arts stuff, but then his major role is that he's overseeing kind of our local mission stuff, and so his, his job description is to keep our heart beating for Madison to help us make sure we don't get caught up in church life and become like this weird Christian subculture, but to let us live in our city as good neighbors. And so I'm gonna turn it over to you and you can tell us how we're gonna do that. Thanks, Rob. All right, I uh, have to keep all your hearts beating, so let's get to work. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I mean, it really is like such an honor um, to be in this role. Um, I know that I come from a place of, at one point in my life, kind of feeling like, well, yeah, loving the city is a thing that other people do, but not me. To then swinging to like, no, I really need to do this, and I'm and I'm bad at it, <laughs> and I need, with Jesus' help, to do it better. You know, to then becoming like pretty cynical and like unhappy or angry or whatever, and letting anger and cynicism drive me. Um, and I've just felt so convicted of like, no, like I need to let the love and hope of Jesus drive me. And as I've just been wrestling through that. Um, yeah, I was offered to take over local missions, and I was so excited to, but then also was like, oh, crap, like, now I'm in charge of it, so I can't really just, you know, like, who's in charge of this? Why aren't we doing it? It's me. So, but honestly, like, Rob, that was, like, so good, and there's not a ton more I can add to that. Um, before I, I came up, uh, Ronnie, who was up here for announcements, told me, like, He's like, I love you, and I'm proud of you, Seabiscuit, because that's uh, his nickname for me. And I was like, I'm only a little nervous. And he's like, that's okay. Just let your bleeding heart bleed all over the room. And I was like, weird, but I can do that. So, so we have, like, the, the, the what and the why of loving the city, but, like, what does that actually, like, look like? Like, it's great, you know, to, to have the foundation of, like, this is the biblical truth and why we're doing it, but what does that actually tangibly look like? And I'm going to say that we as a church, this looks like three different ways that we're going to love Madison. And you can write this down if you want. So we want to love Madison on an individual level, on an event-based level, and then on a corporate year-round level. So individual, event-based, and then corporate year-round. So that first one, um, the individual level, it's probably, no, not probably, it is like the most significant and important piece of it, right? Because Jesus wants all of us to love our neighbor. And it's not that each and every one of us need to do everything, but everyone needs to be doing something. And this isn't just because like there's a job and we need to do it to check that off the list or whatever. Like 
Jesus wants something so much better for our lives, and he wants to take us on an adventure of what that looks like to live with him. And I don't know about you, but I know that I am constantly terrified (laughs) to do that. You know, uh, it makes me think, like, when I was a kid, I didn't go fishing or, like, outdoor stuff or anything, really. But my older brother um, is a total hick in the best way and uh, would invite me to, like, go fishing with him. And I just distinctly remember, like, one day, like, saying one day, like, yeah, I'll go fishing with you tomorrow. And then being woken up in the morning and him being like, hey, like, you ready to go fishing? And I was just super tired and was like, uh, no, I don't want to go fishing. And then he left without me or whatever. And that's not like a rosebud moment. Like, I'm not going to be on my deathbed and be like, I should have gone fishing, you know. But I think back on that, and I'm like, I should have gone fishing. Like, he loved me and just wanted to do something with me. And even if it was out of my comfort zone, like, I should have I gone, you know. Um, Jesus wants to go fishing with you. And he is going to place, I, I know that's kind of cheesy because, like, fishers of men and stuff. But it's biblical. And Jesus is going to place people in front of you to love And you're going to feel that tug of like, oh, I should probably do this. And right away, your sinful nature is going to be like, well, but X, Y, Z, there's all these reasons not to do it. Like, just say like, I don't know how to do this. And this is scary, but I'm going to go because my father who loves me wants to take me on an adventure and love my neighbor. So the individual level, we know and love all people. And like Rob said, like we don't assimilate to our culture. So we don't just look like our culture. So not even the way that we love people looks like how the world loves, but rather our best example of how to do this is the guy that we spent all year reading about in the book of Luke, Jesus, how he loves people. So he knows and loves all people. He knows them. Jesus saw faces and was moved to compassion. He didn't just have like fleeting sentimentality, like I like you from over here, you know, but he like knew them, knew their stories And some of you are in this room because that happened to you. And you're like, these people like actually care about me. Like, this is weird. I'm not used to this, you know. But then Jesus also, he knows and he loves people. And again, not just like I like you from over here, but he actively did things that cost him. Ultimately, he did the thing that cost him everything, right? And then lastly, like Rob was saying, Jesus loved all people, We read about Jesus' ministry and it challenges our framework of loving people because Jesus sacrificially made time for the poor, the lonely, the least socially or economically attractive. They're not beneficial or popular people of his day. And it benefited him nothing and cost him everything. And so we want to be a church that does that. And just like Rob said, I'm saying this as someone who's not great at it himself, but I just see it in the Bible and I'm like, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you in that. So, First, the individual level, that we're all loving our neighbor individually. Second, the event-based level. We're going to have as a church concerted efforts throughout the year to bless the community and help meet its needs. So this, I mean, we've already been doing this, right? So this will happen organically as needs arise, 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 um, and strategically as we see windows of opportunity. So this is stuff like the canned food drives that we've done a couple times, right? Like, we'll continue to do things like that, um, partnering with um, River Food Pantry to help meet those needs. Or it might look like events that we put on ourselves, right? Like, I don't know how I didn't think of this, but in hindsight, as I turned around and looked at the family movie nights that we've been doing, I'm like, oh, wow, like, (laughs) we've been doing it. Like, there's no strings attached. We're just here to bless the park, bless the community with a free movie night for families, right? 
So we want to do stuff like that year round and what specifically those will look like. We'll kind of see as the year rolls out. But then that last one on a corporate year round level, we really want to pick something and champion it and do it really well rather than a hundred different things kind of okay or poorly. Um, and this part like kind of scared me at first trying to figure out like, okay, like what can we do as a church? Cause like we never want to put a ceiling on our generosity, right? Like, well, we've, we've checked the box, so we're not going to... But, so don't hear me say, like, we're doing this one thing, and I don't want you guys to think about anything else. But um, as we were thinking through, like, what is a thing that, like, we can do really well as a church, we kind of realized, like, well, I think that loving kids and loving families is something that we're good at and gifted at. Um, and so we believe that we can most effectively meet the needs of our city by blessing young families, specifically through volunteering and the public school system. So... I'm in early conversations with uh, leaders and representatives in the public school system, um, and I actually have a meeting coming up uh, in September with a principal in the community to just talk about, like, what could it look like for our church to bless your school? Like, we just want to come in and, and, and love your school. Like, whatever that looks like. Is it cleaning? Is it playing with kids? Is it reading to them, you know? So um, we don't have details yet of, like, this is who it is, and this is, but you can pray for those meetings that we have coming up um, that we get involved in the public school system, and then you'll hear, be hearing more about that. So, so those are the three ways, individual, event-based, and then the corporate year-round. So like what can like I actually do? What can you actually do? On the individual level, like I said, just meet your neighbors and get in their lives. And pray that God would create opportunities for you um, to love all the citizens of Madison. And then on the event-based level, when we do broad stuff like the food drive or whatever, just like jump in on it uh, and say like, yeah, I'll do that. Even if it's like your first time doing something like that. And then even the more specific ones like, you know, the UW um, tour of Madison for international students, pray for each one of those, just that God would bless them. But then also pray like, should I jump in on that? Because you never know like, what God is going to bless. I don't necessarily, I didn't plan that God would bless the areas of service that I'm in now. So just pray and consider like, maybe I should jump in on this. And then lastly, on the corporate level, you guys got these serve cards on your way in. Fill that out. If you can and want to help volunteer in the school system, check a box on there. And I would just absolutely love to be able to go into this meeting with this principal with a stack of cards and say like, hey, we're not just saying this because we kind of want to feel good or whatever. Or maybe we'll help you. Like, I have a list of people who want to and are ready to serve your school. And then there's also room on there to list just any other areas of interest for you um, so that I can kind of be your point person to connect people and as effectively as we can love our city. So, so that is the how and the you specifically how. But before I get off the stage, I need to give you like the how beneath the how. Like, how are we actually going to, like, how is that? And I know you're like, Sam, this is getting weird. You're getting weird and philosophical. Like, your bleeding heart's coming out. But seriously, like, I say all those things and I hear that and I'm like, I, okay, I know that I should do that. But like, how am I going to actually do that? Like, that feels insurmountable to me to actually love at that standard. I read my Bible and I'm like, the standard's a lot higher than I thought it was of, of loving my neighbor. And guys, honestly, like the best way 
that you can do this is to just sit at the feet of the cross and worship Jesus, right? Because like to kind of let you in on my heart, before I became a Christian personally, um, I grew up in Ames, Iowa, like a pretty normal suburban uh, childhood. And then when I was about 10, my parents divorced and like my whole world just flipped upside down. Um, We didn't go to church or anything, but at that time we started going to church and I just like hated God. Um, I told my connection group before this, I might cry at this point, but if I do, that's okay. Just feel, that's the bleeding heart. Uh, But I hated God and I very distinctly remember like playing with my nephew at that time in my life and being on one hand happy, like a happy kid, and at the same time like praying under my breath like I hate you, God, because my life was fine and then everything fell apart and now you're telling me that there is a God who is in control of everything and who loves me? Like, that's not right. But then, as I continued going to church, despite my constant request to skip, I came to understand that there was a God who loved me and who died for me, who entered into my suffering to make me whole. And as I was probably maybe a junior in college and was thinking through, like, what am I going to do after college I had heard about this church plant that we were going to be doing in Madison. And as I just started to think about it and pray about it, I just had this like picture in my mind of like somewhere in Madison, there is a kid going through a divorce and he's angry, confused, sad, doesn't know what to do with his feelings. And he just desperately needs to hear that there is a God who loves him and who died for him, and that he's safe. And at that time, I was like, yeah, I will go to Madison and find that kid. But most days, I wake up, and either life has kicked me in the teeth, and I just don't feel like loving, or I feel cynical or hopeless or disappointed, and I'm like, how are we ever going to put a dent in this city? Like, this is hopeless. And that thinking can get to me pretty quick and discourage me, but it's it's on those mornings that more than ever I have to look at the cross and think like, okay, God wants us to move to an uncomfortable culture with people who maybe even hate us, live in it, not retreat, but also not assimilate, and then pour ourselves out for them, for their good. Like, how can I do that? And then I think like, we sing to that person every Sunday. Like Jesus did that for me. And Jesus did that for you. And you will never be able to truly love your neighbor unless you first let Jesus love you and understand, like Rob was saying, he died for you while you were still sinning. And he saw your face and knew your story and came into your life and loved you. And to the degree that you let that saturate your heart, So to that degree, you can turn and love your neighbor. So best thing that we can do, the best thing that I can do strategically to love our neighbor is just to start with worshiping Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us, and then the band will come up, and then we'll do exactly that, just worship the Jesus who poured his life out for us. So pray with me. God, we just don't deserve you. (laughs) And I think that we know that and we say that, but we don't 
think about it often. And when I do, it's like kind of crushing and like I don't even want to make eye contact with you, so to speak, because it's so overwhelming, God. But I did not sneak into the back door of your household, God. You came and pursued me and died for me. And no one in this room is here by accident and no one in this room snuck in and is kind of here by association because they know someone that you love. Like you love every single person in this room and you know the number of hairs on their head before they were born. You knew the color of their eyes, their personality, their laugh, and you loved them despite us kicking spitting and fighting back God while we were still sinners you died for us and so help us just to see that and be overwhelmed by your love for us to worship you and then in turn love as you first loved us God thank you Jesus it's in your name we pray amen